Welcome to Royally Screwed, my name is Chris Shearer, and it's my honor to take you on a tour to some of history's greatest, worst, and craziest rulers. It's back to the Vatican this episode as we cover one of the strangest trials I've ever heard of. It involves the entire papacy of Pope Formosus as he is put on trial by Pope Stephen VI. This episode topic was actually brought up to me by a listener, so thank you very much. Also, if you have a specific ruler or story you'd like me to cover, feel free to reach out on social media. This specific trial has another famous name, though I'll be holding off on that until later to help preserve some mystery. But if you read the title of the episode, then you can probably guess one of the major twists. It's a story that covers many papacies, including striking a papacy off the record. This is something that didn't even happen to Pope Alexander VI, the last pope we covered, and some people have called him the most evil pope of all time. This story also deals heavily with the politics of Western Europe. All around a really fun story that I hope you'll enjoy. So without further ado, let's begin the story. We're going back in time to Vatican City in the 9th century for the trial of Pope Formosus in Dead Pope's Tell No Tales. The latter half of the 9th century and the beginning of the 10th century were a very turbulent time for the Catholic Church. Over the course of about 90 years, from 872 to 965, the Vatican saw the appointment of 24 popes. For comparison's sake, from 1930 to 2020, there were only 8 popes. In fact, between 896 and 904, there was a new pope appointed every year. At this point, as will be the case for the next several centuries actually, international politics and local nobility will have a heavy say in who the pope is. So let's learn a bit about the politics of 9th century Europe. At the beginning of the 9th century, in 800, Pope Leo III crowned King Charles of the Franks, aka Charlemagne, as the emperor of a new Roman kingdom, the Holy Roman Empire. Charlemagne's story is for a future episode, so we'll mostly leave him there for now. But his rule would set the stage for the Carolinian Empire to be a major power throughout the rest of the 9th century. Charlemagne ruled over the Franks, which is modern-day France, but I'll always be referring to them as the Franks from now on in this episode. During this time period, the Carolinian Empire was in flux because Charlemagne had been so great, Charlemagne literally means Charles the Great, and the nation could never live up to that unity. Things went alright under Charlemagne's son Louis, but his grandsons were the problem. Following a civil war in 840, the empire was split into pieces only to be reformed under the reign of Charles the Fat 40 years later, only then to once more split into pieces again. It was the Middle Ages, things were rough. But notice that this time period, after 880, is around the time we start getting new popes every year. During this period of splitting and joining up and splitting again, the idea of the Holy Roman Empire kind of fell apart and wouldn't be realized again until the 10th century. While it will technically exist during this time period, I'll be referring to it as the Carolinian Empire as it's not the true Holy Roman Empire at this time. But the Frankish Kingdom under the Carolinian dynasty was still a massive player in the European theater, and as a Christian nation, Francia, the Kingdom of the Franks, was beholden to the powers of the Pope. 
but if a pope was on their side, that would give the Frankish people all that much more power. Let's now talk about the other major nation in this story, Italy. Vatican City is in Rome, which is in Italy, so it shouldn't be surprising that Italian politics were all up in the game of choosing popes. Well, with the rise of Charlemagne came the downfall of Italy. I know I said we weren't going to talk about Charlemagne anymore, but I lied. Anyway, in the late 8th century, Charlemagne conquered the Kingdom of the Lombards, aka Italy. The Lombards were a Germanic people who had settled in Italy after the fall of the Western Roman Empire. Well, now they no longer controlled Northern Italy because Charlemagne was in power and proclaimed an emperor for all Christians. But not all of Italy was truly under Frankish control. Southern Italy remained mostly with the Lombards, but there was a very important piece of Italy in the center that was in a strangely contested situation, the Papal States. Charlemagne, after conquering Lombard and becoming emperor, gifted the Pope a region within his new empire. This region became known as the Papal States. However, as Charlemagne was emperor of both Rome and the Christian population, it left the popes of this time with the question of who actually held all the power. As bishop of Rome and head of the Christian church, shouldn't the pope have power? But as emperor of Rome and the man who gave that land to the popes, did that mean Charlemagne and the future Holy Roman Emperors hold domain over the Papal States? Well, this confusion left the papacy in a weakened condition, allowing other hands across Europe to reach in and mess things up. As the popes began to recognize this, it didn't take too long for the position to become corrupted as popes sought to throw in their lots with the kings of the surrounding nations. And it was with one pope during this time who decided to get a little bit more political than necessary that our story begins. Enter Pope Formosus. The future Pope Formosus is believed to have been born in Rome sometime in the early 9th century. Basically nothing is known about the guy until 864 when he was made a bishop cardinal of the Diocese of Porto near Rome by Pope Nicholas I. It's assumed that he probably did a good job in the role because, two years later, the Pope made him a papal legate in Bulgaria. A legate in this situation is essentially a personal representative to the Pope. Well, the royal court of Bulgaria was so impressed with the bishop cardinal that Prince Bogoris of Bulgaria asked Pope Nicholas if Formosus could become the archbishop of the nation. Unfortunately for Formosus, Christian doctrine stated that a bishop could only oversee one diocese. It was also illegal for a bishop to leave his bishopric to take on a role in another diocese. That didn't stop the prince from asking the next pope, Hadrian II, who gave the prince the exact same answer as his predecessor. Perhaps in order to put Formosus to work so Bulgaria stopped asking for him, in 869, Hadrian sent Formosus to the kingdom of Lotharingia, one of the smaller kingdoms that arose after the initial split of the Carolinian Empire. Formosus and another bishop were supposed to help King Lothair, yes, the king of Lotharingia was named Lothair, and his wife get through some marital troubles. You see, Lothair's wife wanted a divorce. Unfortunately, Lothair died while Formosus was on his way to Francia, so the mission was technically a failure before it even began. A few years later, in 872, the next pope, John VIII, like I said, we're going through popes quickly during this time, 
sent Formosus to the Diocese of Trent in northern Italy. There, he was to help figure out plans of succession for the throne of the Carolinian Empire. The current emperor, Louis II, had no male heirs. He had appointed his cousin Carloman as his successor, but other plans had been made for the throne. The two main parties were Louis the German, Charlemagne's grandson and king of East Francia, and Charles the Bald, king of West Francia. The nickname Bald was probably not true, by the way. Formosus had been sent to Louis the German for succession discussions, but it would actually be Charles the Bald who would be crowned the new king of Italy and Carolinian emperor upon Louis II's death in 875. The Vatican was very divided on this topic. There were plenty of supporters for both Louis and Charles. When the new emperor was crowned, the Louis faction was very angry. However, no one wished to incur the wrath of the Pope by revolting, so they secretly fled the city to seek safety. And despite not actually being on the wrong side of the problem, the Pope had actually entrusted Formosus with bringing Charles to Rome for his coronation, Formosus also fled the city. In April of 876, John VIII called for a synod. A synod is a large assembly or convening of clergy and church, usually to discuss church doctrine or other important matters. At the synod, the Pope ordered for all who had fled to return to the Vatican or face severe punishment. Formosus' punishment would be excommunication, aka being kicked out of the church. He would be stripped of all his clergy titles. John VIII condemned the bishop for fleeing the duties of his diocese, but also for apparently aspiring to be Archbishop of Bulgaria, as well as possibly hoping to see John himself removed as Pope and for Moses to become his successor. Besides the Prince of Bulgaria asking for Formosus to be Archbishop, there's not actually any signs that Formosus himself was adamant at seizing the position. And while others had considered him for the papacy in the past, there's no signs he was actually looking to unseat John VIII. But even with those grave charges and punishments being prepared, Formosus still did not return to Rome. And in July, the Pope convened another synod to enact the punishments set out by the first synod. Despite all he had done for the Vatican, Formosus was now no longer a man of the church. But that all didn't actually last too long. Two years later, in 878, Pope John reversed his decision on Formosus' excommunication, though he was still not allowed to return to Rome. But then a few years later, in 883, Pope John's successor returned Formosus to his position as bishop in Porto. Fast forward to the year 891, and Pope Stephen V dies. In the wake of his death, Formosus was elected as the new pope. His papacy was filled with all sorts of political strife, both out east in Constantinople and back west with successions in Francia as well as Italy. The main political problem we'll look at is in Italy. The current king of Italy and emperor was Guido III of Spoleto, who was of the Lombards, the Germanic people in Italy. He had been crowned by Pope John VIII, but Formosus was not a big fan of the guy. In 892, Guido had forced the Pope to name Guido's son, Lambert, as co-emperor of the Carolinian Empire. 
This made Formosus decide to start looking around for someone to help him rid himself of the Spoleto problem. He looked back west and found an ally in Arnulf of Carinthia, the king of East Francia who had overthrown Charles the Fat and once more caused the Frankish kingdom to split apart. In 894, Arnulf marched into Italy and occupied land in the north. By this time, Guido had died, but the Spoletos were still in control of the throne of Italy. Late in the next year, Arnulf began another campaign against the rulers of Italy. He successfully marched into Rome and took control of the city, and was then crowned the new Carolinian Emperor and King of Italy on February 22nd by Pope Formosus. But before Formosus could have total peace, Arnulf was struck by paralysis and unable to completely defeat the Spoletos. And about a month and a half later, Formosus himself passed away on April 4th of 896. And thus ends the tale of Pope Formosus. Or does it? Let's keep following this period of history to see what happens next, shall we? Formosus' successor was Pope Boniface VI. Like his predecessor, Boniface was probably also a Roman citizen before becoming Pope. Very little is known about Boniface's life besides that. His father might have been a bishop, that's about it. Anyway, he was elected as Pope a week after Formosus died due to a series of riots that had erupted after the Pope's death. He ascended to the papacy towards the end of April of 896. It's said that he was supported by the Spoletos and opposed by Arnulf, who was still very much alive despite being paralyzed. In the long run, it doesn't matter who liked or hated the guy. 16 days after Boniface VI ascended to the papacy, he died of gout. Yup, 16 days. That makes Boniface's time as Pope the second shortest papacy in all history. He's only beaten out by Pope Urban VII, who ruled for only 13 days in September of 1590. Urban was not even crowned. Popes used to get a coronation after they were elected. The first pope to begin this tradition was actually Nicholas I, the pope who made Formosus a bishop. The tradition of coronations ended with Paul VI in 1963 after he abandoned the practice of wearing a crown. But not everyone actually agrees that Boniface VI died of gout. There are some rumors that he was killed by the very man who would become his successor, Pope Stephen VI. After Pope Stephen's ascension, things began to change very quickly. Arnulf of Carinthia was forced out of power due to his incredibly weakened position, making way for the Spoletos to once again gain power over Italy. Luckily, Stephen VI was pro-Spoleto, so he had nothing to worry about there. But there's a lot of stories about Stephen that some people throw around that make him sound like a bit of a suspicious character. There's no proof that he either personally killed or hired someone to kill Boniface VI. The former pope's death is usually attached to Stephen VI because it makes for a better story with what's about to happen. When Stephen was elected as pope, he had been bishop of a diocese in Rome, and Formosus had been the one to appoint him while the former was pope. For some reason, upon becoming pope, aka the bishop of Rome, 
that would make him the bishop of two locations. Hmm, where have we heard that being a problem before? Oh yeah, wasn't that a charge that had been thrown at Formosus all those years back? And he had been excommunicated for that. And if Stephen VI had had Boniface killed, that would make it seem like he had been aspiring to the papacy, something that Formosus had also been accused of. Say, wouldn't that make him guilty of everything Formosus had done? Okay, in case you're a little confused as to why I'm saying all this, let's cut straight to the point. If Stephen was not actually the bishop of the Diocese of Anyani before he was elected pope, that would mean he was only bishop of one location instead of two. So, in order to revoke his previous status as bishop, he would have to find a way to null the powers of the man who had made him a bishop, aka Formosus. But Formosus is dead. You can't just accuse a dead man of crimes, I guess. According to Stephen VI, you would have to legally prove that this man was a criminal in the eyes of God. Formosus would have to go on trial so that the world would know of his crimes. But you can't put a corpse on trial, right? Right? Well, Stephen would say otherwise, as he convened what has come to be known as the Cadaver Synod. In January of 897, Pope Stephen ordered that the body of Formosus be removed from its tomb. He was garbed in the robes of a pope and brought to the Cathedral of the Most Holy Savior and Saints John the Baptist and John the Evangelist in the Lateran, more commonly just called the Lateran Basilica. Stephen VI himself would be judge of this macabre court. But wait, dead people can't talk. Oh my god, are we getting a ghost or zombie story? I wish, but no. Stephen had a deacon stand beside the corpse of Formosus and answer the questions in place of the deceased pope. There's no transcript of the cadaver synod, god I wish there was because I want to know what was actually said, but Stephen was said to have dug up every accusation made against Formosus, mostly those that were brought up by John VIII way back when Formosus was just a bishop. Of course, because the corpse's responses were said through someone working for Stephen VI, the late Pope Formosus was found guilty on all charges. Also, I don't know how particularly true this anecdote is, but it's said that during the trial, there was an earthquake. It was almost like a sign from God or something like that. And if you believe that, then maybe it was God saying, Hey, this is really messed up guys, you should stop. But they did not stop. Stephen had the three fingers Formosus used to enact blessings and benedictions cut off as a formal sign that all of his blessings had become null and void. Every action he had taken as Pope was now considered to have never happened, which meant that Stephen was no longer bishop of two different locations. In the immediate aftermath of the Cadaver Synod, Stephen had Formosus' body buried in what was essentially a potter's field in Rome. A potter's field being either a graveyard or a mass grave of unknown or displaced individuals that did not get proper burials. I guess the Pope had a change of heart and decided that wasn't a fitting conclusion to the spectacle he had just put on. So instead, Stephen had Formosus' body dug up and tossed into the Tiber River. 
Some people even claim that the corpse washed up on the shores and began performing miracles for those who found it. Stephen also had several pro-Formosus clergy members stripped of their ranks in the church. Anyway you slice it, everyone knew what had happened at the Cadaver Synod. Formosus was officially separated from the church, and Pope Stephen VI was the one who had ordered it. I know I said that Stephen called the Cadaver Synod for personal reasons, as many people believe he did, but there were also heavy political implications to the trial. This was a time period where the Vatican was weakened and needed outside help from the Carolinian Empire. It's why I talked about them so much during Formosus's time as Pope. While it's entirely possible that Stephen could have planned to organize the Cadaver Synod at some point during his reign, it's believed that he was pressured to actually do it from the Spoletos. Formosus had been their most vocal opponent during the time period, and even though the guy was dead, they wanted Rome to know that they actually held all the power. You know, even though Arnold was still technically the emperor. But the might of the Spoletos could not protect their pope. A few months after the Cadaver Synod, a massive riot erupted in Rome. The rioters removed Stephen from office, stripped him of his papal powers, and threw him in prison. In July or August of 897, the Pope was strangled in prison. Pope Romanus was elected to succeed the pontificate in August. He sought to bring peace and control to the situation by pulling a reverse on Stephen's rule. Unfortunately, he didn't have too long to get things done because he was forced out of the papacy in November of that year, probably by the pro-Stephen faction. Romanus's successor was Pope Theodore II. During his papacy, he managed to recover Formosus' body from the Tiber and had it reburied in its tomb in St. Peter's Basilica. He also reiterated his predecessor's opinions on the Cadaver Synod. But that was basically the only thing Theodore II did as Pope because it said his papacy only lasted about 20 days. If you're keeping track, that's three popes gone in the year 897. Some brief sense of stability in the aftermath of the Corpse Synod came with the election of Pope John IX, Theodore's successor. Throughout the year 898, John ordered several synods to convene. He officially denounced the actions of Pope Stephen VI and reinstated Formosus as having been a pope. He also restored the ranks of the clergy members Stephen had deposed of. He also made it illegal to put people on trial after their death, which you know, should have been obvious from the start. But obviously, nothing in this story can last for too long. Nah, that would be silly. In 904, Sergius III was elected as Pope. He was a member of the pro-Stephen VI faction and decided that the Cadaver Synod was actually valid. So he once more condemned the corpse of Formosus, though he didn't actually bother going as far to unearth the body. So wait, you might be thinking, what is the official take on the Cadaver Synod within the Catholic Church as of today? Well, despite Sergius III saying he had reversed Pope John IX's orders, no pope after him acted that way. Every pope from his immediate successor, Anastasius III, to the current pope, Francis, have somewhat quietly reconfirmed the orders of John IX. Pope Formosus, Whatever actions he may or may not have taken during his life was and always will be known as one of the bishops of Rome. 
story of the Cadaver Synod is definitely one of the craziest stories to come out of the Vatican. It was an act fueled by both personal and political hatred. But maybe the weirdest part about it is how little the Catholic Church recognizes it. I mean, obviously it's a really messed up story, but if you were to go to the Lateran Basilica, there would be no mentions of it anywhere within the church. There are churches where you can see literal dead bodies still on display, and others where they'll tell you of other horrific stories that happen there. But there are no stories being told of the trial of the corpse of Pope Formosus. But for now, that's it for this week's episode of Royally Screwed. I hope you enjoyed the journey. Be sure to subscribe to the show, tell a friend, and subscribe to the Denim Creek page on Twitter and Instagram for more info about each episode. Next episode will mark the one-year anniversary of Royally Screwed, so in order to celebrate, we're going back to the beginning. Actually, before the beginning. In episode 1, I covered the story of multiple men pretending to be the son of Ivan the Terrible, but we didn't really ever discuss Ivan himself. Well, get ready for that wild story as we delve into his story to find out if he really was all that bad. I hope you'll join me then for another topsy-turvy look, into history's most interesting rulers. Whoa, 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 whoa.